Welcome to Church Without Walls. This is Pastor Mike Neely. Thanks for joining me. This podcast is supported in part by donations from listeners like you. If you'd be willing to consider a year-end gift, you can go to my website, www.emmausroadnw.org slash donate. All donations are tax deductible. Thank you and God bless you. All right. Well, welcome to Church Without Walls podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Neely, and today we are diving into the subject of dreams, how God communicates to us in dreams and how we can learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in understanding those so that we can walk out what God has for us through those communications. And I'm really excited to be here with my friend Ruby Tanaka. And Ruby and I have known each other for 15 or more years now. They were at Tierra Nueva, she and her husband, Gene, before Susan and I showed up there in 2008. And we met, I think, early 2008, just working on the Ekblad's property one Saturday. And um, we've, become, we've become great friends and co-laborers with the Holy Spirit. And, and Ruby has a particular gifting through the Holy Spirit, uh, even anointing for both uh, the dreams that God communicates uh, to her through, as well as uh, learning to understand those. And she went through a, a pretty in-depth school of training called Samuel's Mantle, which was around uh, the sort of supernatural ways that God communicates, how we understand those, how we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And so, Ruby, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm happy to be here. Yay. Happy to talk about such a favorite subject. <laughs> Yay. Well, as I as I normally do with my guests, uh, I would love for you to share a little bit of your early journey, uh, your your upbringing, if there was anything in your in your home life that was already open to the Holy Spirit, and what if so, what was that like? And if there were obstacles, uh, what did God do to kind of bring you through or overcome those obstacles and bring you into an encounter with His Holy Spirit? Well, um, I was raised um, in a very conservative family, a Christian conservative family. Um, my parents were very, very loving, very devoted to us. But um, their concept of God and Christ, although there was talk of grace and talk of the Holy Spirit, um, woven into that was a great deal of shame and legalism. Mm. Um uh, there wasn't the Holy Spirit. It, it was it was kind of sort of vague. It was a little bit confusing to me. I didn't really know how to tap into that. I was intrigued by it, but I didn't understand very much of it. Um, but I do remember. Um, I do remember when I was about 10, 10 years old, I think having a very profound dream that I was flying really high in the air and I was just filled with bliss. I, I might've actually been filled with the Holy spirit at that moment and um, just absolutely euphoric and free and just thrilled with, with the, with the sensation of flight. And then um, I came upon the edge of a field, uh, edge of fields. And I, dove down underground and could see um, a nest of strong brown snakes. And 
I think that that might have been a real awakening of the spirit in my life. I think there might have been some impartation of gifts there. I think that um, God was maybe showing me that I was going to have some gifting and that it would entail maybe seeing places where the enemy was hiding. And I have seen evidence of that. Um, so the, this, this happened when you were 10 years old. Yeah. And there, 10 was, years. there was no uh, obvious outside influence that was um, leading you into this idea. No, not at all. I remember I woke up and was just really excited about this dream um, and went down and, and related it to my mom, who just sort of, oh, that Ruby, she has such an imagination. What a fun dream, you know, and an interesting mm -hmm. thing. But there wasn't any um, there wasn't any indication on her part that that was anything that was God speaking to me or anything. OK. Yeah. So that was at 10. And uh, how did how did that continue for you in terms of exposure to the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't think I really fully understood what that was. It just sort of, you know, um, remained in my periphery and knowing I now know that that was a destiny dream and a destiny dream is the type of dream that we can get where it's as fresh today as it was the moment we woke up. We remember all of the details of it. And often those dreams take years to fulfill. And um, I think that was true of this one. I think maybe God spoke something into my life, maybe gifted something into my life, but it took years to come into sort of an awakening and an understanding, a comprehension of what he, what he accomplished and what he was going to accomplish with that. So um, my um, the rest of my childhood and my teen years were kind of con kind of continued the same route, very a lot of confusing fundamentalism, but also my my one on one though with God seemed to be um, fuller and and richer than what was explained to me in my prayer life and just my sense of the personhood of Christ was very real to me. He was. He was very present to me. I really sensed his mercies and his grace and his guidance. And I sensed that there was going to be more in the future that would sort of flesh that out a bit more. And you sensed it, you sensed it even in maybe even in contrast to what you had been taught. Yes. Wow. Yes, exactly. And I think Tiranueva was um, where I really, Tiranueva really honored the Holy Spirit and sought out um, what I consider to be giving the Holy Spirit elbow room. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. And um, that's where, that's where things really kind of awakened and a lot of my gifting and, and um, just recognizing that the dreams were more than just uh, my colorful imagination that God was speaking to me. And yeah. then going to Samuel's Mantle in Abbotsford, Canada, and just getting some really practical instruction and, and teaching there around it um, really helped. And can you say just maybe a short blurb on Samuel's Mantle? Like what, what exactly was that about? So Samuel's Mantle is a prophetic training school in Abbotsford, Canada, and uh, it's run by the director is Murray Duick. 
and they just provide um, lots of training classes, um, audio materials, resources to just teach about the gifts of the spirit and how we can grow into that, how we can um, practice and um, understand from a, a really old biblical perspective, I think, um, just how the gifts work, what God intended the church, how God intended the church to function with gifts, how they, how they um, come into play in our, in our current warfare and our spiritual warfare and, in our just walking closer alongside Jesus and receiving healing and instruction. And yeah, I highly recommend them. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's so important because I, I know that over the years in our conversations together, it, You've also had experiences at other churches where those gifts, there wasn't elbow room, uh, there wasn't space made for a conversation, let alone a partnership. And and yet I'm not sure that we even did it that well at Tierra Nueva. Like there was, there was certainly elbow room, but I, I feel like, I wonder if in, in churches where the, the, you talk about the fivefold ministry in out of Ephesians 4 of of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And most of churches, uh, my observation has been function in the twofold ministry, <laughs> pastor, teacher. And every once in a while you get an evangelist in there. But the idea that there would be a, a, a prophet, someone who's speaking prophetically into the culture of the church, into God's calling on the church, into the world, I feel like there's often a clash between the pastor teacher and the prophet I'll, mm. I'll, there might also be an overlapping in giftings but but i feel like a lot of a lot of folks who are operating in the primarily pastor teacher role or or uh, gift don't know what to do with the prophet or the mm. or, or the prophetically gifted one and so it, it's so that prophetically gifted one like yourself often feels out of place in in the church Yes, that's very true. And, you know, um, and because there is so little emphasis on it and mm -hmm. so little knowledge and teaching, then those of us with gifting, you know, we're going to make mistakes. And um, and I certainly have. And so there can be a lot of shame around that. And then it kind of will kind of confirm that biases often with the pastors, you know, with um, some of, you know, those with the um uh, in the pastoral context of the church where, you know, the whole thing just becomes discouraging and, oh, see, it's best if we just don't venture out in there. And we're, we're really missing out on, um, I think God has a lot of grace there and there are resources for learning. And, and when we're, when we're looking, you know, for instance, at something like dreams, when we look at it in a biblical paradigm, you know, baptism is only mentioned a handful of times, but the subject of dreams is mentioned over 225 times. Really? Um, yes, yes. One third of all events that occur in the Bible are tied in some way to a dream or a vision. Even when we consider like the birth of Christ, think how many times dreams came into play in just in that instance in Jesus his birth and um you know in in ancient hebrew times if if you came across say like a letter 
um, between Jewish families, it would, you know, it would include news of births and deaths and events, but it would also include often um, prophetic dreams that family members have had. They took it so seriously. Hmm. And, um, you know, in the Bible, it says that um, it, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, and it is the honor of kings to seek it out. And in ancient Jewish times, those who pondered the riddles and the um, symbol, the symbolic language of God, those who sought it out, sought out the answers to those things, they were considered the truly wise in their culture. And you see that like uh, Joseph, when he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, is put second in command of the Pharaoh. And Daniel, when he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he is put in charge of Nebuchadnezzar's astrologers and soothsayers. Hmm. And they're given great places of honor. They were really respected. The, the ancient Jews really understood that God does speak to us in dreams and that it is the wise who pay attention and value that. But in our current culture, including our current church culture, we're very information oriented. Yeah. You know, ours yeah. is just we just want to get information. We want to know what to do. We want to know how to do it. And and that's, you know, to approach dreams in that way, it's going to backfire. You're not you're not going to get what God's speaking, speaking to you about and miss out on on some great wisdom. Yeah, I, I noticed uh, with the Old Testament dreams, as you mentioned, both Joseph and Daniel, both of them also make reference to God is the one who provides the interpretation. Mm, yes. God, God provides the dream. And even in one case, uh, I think it was for Daniel, he had to, God had to tell Daniel what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to tell him what it was. So God told him what the dream was and then told him the interpretation. Whereas, uh, looking at the dreams around the birth of Christ, they were pretty clear warnings. Like, go, don't, don't stay here, go to Egypt, don't stay here, don't go back to Herod, go, go back home a different way. Uh, I'm, I, I don't know if there's any conclusions to draw from that. I just thought that was, that, that was interesting because I feel like m most dreams that I've been countered that I feel like are from the Lord just inquire require a lot of interpretation. <laughs> I, I haven't I haven't received any just straightforward warning dreams. Yeah. There are many different types of dreams. Mm -hmm. There are diagnostic dreams, prophetic dreams, uh impartation dreams, counseling dreams. Um yeah, many, many different kinds of dreams. And um as you delve into it, you can you do become a little bit better at 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 knowing what kind of dream God is imparting. Mm -hmm. Most dreams are diagnostic dreams. They're kind mm -hmm. of to reveal the state of our hearts, what's going on in our hearts, mm -hmm. and um, they can they don't necessarily show the future. Sometimes they're about the past or the present, but um, more often than not, they're going to be a diagnostic dream. Um, I just had one recently, actually. And then sometimes that those kinds of dreams um, are uh, followed up by a solution dream where God will kind of impart um, how, what to do with that. And then you might get um, 
then you might get a progression dream, like showing where you're progressing on that in that solution. And then you might get a graduation dream where sometimes we're crossover into uh, maybe a, another um, country's um, boundary, like Canada, it'll be a crossing of borders. And, um, and then you come into a new season and a new, a new series of dreams. So sometimes those kind of disturbing, confusing dreams where it looks like, oh, no, or bad things going to happen, actually, it's just revealing your heart. And, um, and they're good to pay attention to. So, so you just took us through a series of, of ways of uh, looking at uh, a, a progressing of dreams. Can you give an example from your own life? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, just recently, um, I was, I was kind of pondering how, um, I have a tendency to overproduce, to overdo sometimes to exert too much effort in preparing for a thing, whether it's a gathering or a trip or whatever. And I was, I was just wondering, Lord, what's going on there? What's, what's happening? And, um, and I got what I believe is a diagnostic dream that night. I got it. So clearly God was very eager to answer my question. <laughs> and, um, there were many as it's a very long dream. There were many as parts of it, but one of the things that stood out to me was that, um, in the dream, I was kind of, I was really foggy headed and I was bleary eyed. It was in the morning. I'd just woken up and I was kind of rattled and I was, I was needing to drink some coffee and I take milk with my coffee. So I went to the refrigerator and I opened it up and there were probably a dozen different milks. There was 2% milk and whole milk and oat milk and almond milk and oh my gosh, just soy milk and just too many milks. And in my dream, I knew that there was not very much of the cartons were kind of down to just a little bit. Some were expired and it was just very overwhelming. And then the dream progressed in it and there were other facets to it. So I suspected that God was answering my question and he was speaking to me about kind of showing me the condition of the heart, what's going on, this diagnostic dream I mentioned. And so in awake life, later that day, um, I was I wanted to stop into the bookstore for something and uh, I couldn't believe it. You know how sometimes the bookstores will have shelves that have discounted books in the front. And there on the top was what looked at a glance like a children's book, but it was actually kind of an adult um, kind of a, a, a comedic book about how, what a ridiculous society we have. And it was called Too Many Melts. And no there was, an way. yes, there was an <laughs> illustration of a man buried under cartons and cartons of 2% milk, whole milk, oat milk, almond milk, soy milk. <laughs> it was like <laughs> confirmation. Wow. <laughs> yes, indeed. God is not only answering my question, but is really eager to delve into this. So, <laughs> and so um, I will. Yeah, we can talk about it, but how to delve into these kinds of dreams and then looking forward to maybe that solution dream. So. Yeah. So like even how often do you remember your dreams? Do you write them down immediately when you wake up? Like what's that process like for you? Um, yeah, I don't always recall my dreams. Sometimes like everybody else, I'll kind of, you know, wake up with a vague sense that I have dreamed. But usually when it's a prophetic dream, usually if it's 
when God's speaking to the heart, there will be a recall of details. And um, I'm a firm believer that all Christians should go to bed with pen and paper on their nightstand mm. um, to always be prepared to to write down a dream. And, you know, when when we're demonstrating that kind of intentionality, just that, just putting pen and paper, uh, we're showing that we're valuing the dream and you're more apt to recall it. So I'll get a dream and as best I can, I'll just write it legibly. I'll kind of try to stay in the lying down position. I won't try to move too much because that can sometimes disturb recall mm. and uh, I'll write it down. And it's important to write down, um, you know, peripheral details, whatever small details don't, yeah, don't underestimate the value of a small detail. Get it all down, get down your emotions. Emotions are important in a dream settings, buildings, characters, Hmm. objects, actions, actions say a lot, get that all down there. And then I keep a dream journal and I'll, I'll rewrite it. And then you want to title the dream and date it. And um, then I, I also keep an index. So I keep an index of all those titles and, and the uh, the title, the the book and page number, and the date, because mm. um, sometimes if you have a reoccurring object, you want to build upon your understanding of of what that dream is. So um, I often ha- was having dreams about Christmas decorations, and I just really sought out in prayer, Lord, what what are you saying to me about Christmas decorations? I keep seeing them, and you know it's kind of like that old Hebrew paradigm of seeking it out and just pursuing it and asking for revelation. And after months, I feel like I I finally saw that um, Christmas decorations were religion. So just like Christmas is ostensibly about the birth of Christ, and yet in reality is really the opposite of it. It's uh, about materialism and consumerism and and um, so can religion often ostensibly be about Christ, but is sometimes actually the opposite of it. And so when I see Christmas decorations in my dreams, like this Too Many Milks dream, I saw Christmas decorations in the dining room. Um, oh, that is showing me that there is some religiosity that is mixed in um, my uh, socializing something about my 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 perspective and social socializing there's something there and i'll be digging into that with jesus so what is what does that look like to dig into that with jesus oh that's the good part <laughs> that's <laughs> the said, best sorry, part you, you set that one up <laughs> <laughs> didn't i um so um the most important takeaway that I, I would really love for your listeners to get is that the first step in, in getting revelation on a dream is worship. When we worship, we are, we are going into the, to the heavenly realms with God and we're, we're bringing that atmosphere down. And it's really important not to skip over that. I, I would, I would not even fathom going into a dream with Jesus without spending at least maybe half an hour worshiping. Mm-hmm. I often like to sing the Psalms. I often sing my prayers. I feel like that kind of gets me out of my head and into my heart. Yeah. And I'll just be worshiping 
and worshiping, sometimes soaking and just waiting until I just feel the spirit when I'm really filled up with the spirit. And only then do I go back into the dream with Jesus. And, uh, and then I just start asking him questions about the dream. Um, Jesus, where are you in this dream? Just with eyes of our heart, our imagination, you know, God using the imagination to show us where he is in that dream. And Jesus, what, how do you feel about this dream? Or um, Jesus, what do you notice about this dream? What do you see? And I, and I really keep absolutely dependent upon Jesus in the dream. I'm not looking around. Um, well, I, I'm, I am paying attention. I'm looking around in the dream, but my eyes are really, really fixed on Jesus and his reactions to things and what he says. Jesus, what do you want to do with this dream? Jesus, what is, what is that? Wh- why that object? What does that mean? Um, when I first understood the importance of this kind of dependence upon Jesus and dreams and, um, looking at the dream through his eyes, I spent months just doing that, going systematically through my entire dream and asking him about every single detail. Jesus, why is this during the daytime? Why this house? Why is this house so flat? Why is it cut, painted blue? Why is that dog there? Why is that dog brown? What is it sniffing for? Um, why do I feel so agitated about that? What just um, really getting the habit of, of being aware of what's in the dream and bringing it to Jesus, just cultivating that habit. I'll give you an example a dream one of the most profound dreams i've ever had and how how this played out so i dreamt that i was in a white hatchback on a highway and that uh, i wasn't moving on the highway that it was just still the back of the hatchback was open and i was sitting back there looking backward and the highway was kind of empty there were mountains to the right and there was an ocean to the left. And I was just sitting there. I was vaguely aware that Jean was driving the car. Now, when the dream is about us, when, we, when we're when we sort of the involved in the dream, the dream most of the time is going to be about you. Even if there are uh, family members or friends or characters, they're still about you. So often when I dream about Jean, he rep- my husband, he represents my mind. Uh, Often when I dream about my oldest daughter, she represents my soul. And often when I dream about my younger daughter, she represents my spirit. And that comes after years of just pursuing these kinds of, you know, this going into dreams with Jesus. So you're, you're learning a vocabulary. Exactly. Of how God communicates to you. Exactly. So Jean's at the driver's seat, but it's probably my mind. So I'm sitting there. And uh, suddenly this migrant worker holding an ugly, dirty baby comes in from the right. And he says, you need to take this baby. And I just kind of recoil and disgust. I'm like, I I don't want this baby. He's like, no, you need to take this baby. I I don't want this baby. He's very insistent. You need to take this baby. I I don't want this baby. 
And then suddenly from the left comes a very handsome police officer. He says, you need to take this baby. I don't want this baby. And then suddenly Gene slams on the gas and the wheels go just peeling out. The car's going nowhere for a moment. And in that moment, that migrant worker throws the dirty baby into the back of the of the hatchback. And then suddenly I'm in the back seat, still looking back, but the baby is in the back of the hatchback and the, and the car is just barreling down the highway with the back of the hatchback flapping up and down. And this baby bouncing around, its head banging against the lock of the car, this, this lock feature. And I'm screaming, there's a baby in the back. There's a baby in the back. And then uh, suddenly the dream, dream changes and I'm in a, uh, our old home in West Seattle and there's a fire in the fireplace. And um, Bethany, one of the people that we know from Tierra Nueva, she comes up to me and she says, isn't it nice to be able to speak Spanish? And I don't speak Spanish. So I wake up from this dream. And I could tell God speaking to me. I remember the details clearly. This dream has weight. It yeah. has presence. It's yeah. not just a fleeting, fanciful thing. It has weight. And, uh, and I'm very curious. And I'm I'm very anxious about this. Like this, this baby fell out. Oh, I forgot to mention this key part. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As the street, as the car was barreling down the highway, the baby fell out. The baby went tumbling out into the highway. And in the distance, I can boom, see cars suddenly gather around it. Excuse me. That's when the dream switched. And I was in West Seattle. And Bethany said, isn't it nice to be able to speak Spanish? So um, so it was a Sunday. And, and I had the day and uh, to myself. And so I just kind of, I just worshipped. I just worshipped God. I just praised him for the dream. I praised his nature. I wasn't striving to comprehend. I wasn't striving to understand what this meant. And I really want to encourage your listeners to just avoid that. Just be at peace. Be at rest. God's speaking to us. And we can have great confidence that he's going to reveal to us this thing. Hmm. Uh, just patiently seek it out. Not that it might take hours. It might take days. It might take months. It might take years. But you will, you know, fasting and praying and worshiping will come. And so um, in peace, I just, I just worshiped and I asked God. And then, and then finally, when I felt the Holy Spirit, I went back into the dream with Jesus. And I said, um, Jesus, what, what do you notice about this dream? And it said, and I felt him say, turn around. It's like, oh yeah, that whole dream, I was facing backwards. Like, oh, that's interesting. So, okay. Then, um, Jesus, where are you in the dream? And I saw him sitting in the back seat. Very, very peaceful. And that kind of surprised me how peaceful he was. I thought he might be giving attention to this baby that was going to fall out, you know. Nope, he was very peaceful. And uh, so I thought I should follow his example. So I, in my dream, I just kind of sat next to him, kind of snuggled up to him. And I just waited until, until I felt this peace too. Hmm. And then um, after I did, then I said, um, 
Jesus, what else do you notice about this dream? And he said, you're in Ventura. And I thought, oh, oh, that's right. Uh, I kind of was vaguely aware that this was Ventura, California. I don't know if I, I think I've been to Ventura, but um, that, I thought that was just atmosphere. I didn't think that was any real significance. So isn't that interesting that Jean, Jesus calls attention to this kind of peripheral, what I think is just a peripheral detail. Yeah. And yet this baby that I'm so concerned about, he doesn't seem terribly, he doesn't seem too, too concerned with that. So I said, um, Jesus, what, what does Ventura, what is the meaning of Ventura? And he didn't answer, but I was reminded that Bethany said, isn't it nice to be able to speak Spanish? And mm -hmm. uh, it occurred to me that, oh, yeah, Ventura is probably a Spanish name. So I got off the bed and I went to the computer and I looked it up. And uh, Ventura has a lot of there's a lot of meanings attached to it. Um, things like luck and good fortune. But down towards the bottom, the one that jumped out at me and and. And when we're seeking revelation, you want to look for that thing that just kind of popped for you. And it was contentment. Hmm. Thought, oh, contentment. Okay. So I went back to, I went back and lie down on the bed. And I said, Jesus, um, I, I think you're saying con contentment. Um, and so uh, what, what is the significance of that? And what else do you notice in this dream? And then I got full revelation, pretty full revelation of the dream quite suddenly, which doesn't often happen. Usually okay. doesn't happen that quickly, but in this instance, it did. And um, so this dream, um, in order to understand the context of it, um, your listeners need to know that when I was seven years old, um, I had a very traumatic um, event happen in my life. Um, I was playing with a friend on the side of the road and a pedophile um, came by and um, basically took us into the woods and assaulted us and uh, left us there. And he continually called me baby and he made me feel dirty, dirty baby. And God showed me that this dirty, ugly migrant worker was false guilt and the clean handsome police officer was false authority and that when the enemy attacks me and this is really interesting because in other dreams i have seen the enemy come to me in twos there's a pattern where the enemy has a sustained attack of false guilt and when that doesn't work and then he brings in false authority and that the wheels peeling out was um sort of an overreaction to those things and that that in itself allowed the enemy to pass in this identity as dirty baby. And that what Jesus was saying to me was that I, after years of therapy and healing from this traumatic event, that it was time now to turn around and face forward and to let the effects of dirty baby fall out and to look forward to contentment with him. <laughs> wow. And uh, I was just like, wow, wow. And I was blown away. And I thought, okay, Jesus, this is, this is big. This is really big. And I don't want to misunderstand you. I need 
confirmation about this because I don't want to be wrong. It's too important. And so uh, since it was a Sunday, I um, this was back when I was sanctuary steward and uh, my job was to go back. Um, my job was always to set up the sanctuary. I would set up uh, communion and, and pray over the sanctuary and get it prepared for worship. And so uh, in awake life, I got in my car about four hours later and I was headed to Tierra Nueva. And um, there at the first stoplight in front of me was a white hatchback, the California license plate and the frame around the license plate said Ventura, California. (laughs) (laughs) And I kept going, no way, no way, no way. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't get pulled over by the police on the way. No, but I can't tell you how helpful that dream has been when there is an inclination for me to apply myself to me, oh, uh, you know, here's here's some issue in my life. I need to direct my my focus onto this for healing. And where Christ has assured me that, no, that's not necessary. Now is a season for looking forward and and to just, mm. you know, I've done I've done my best in my human capacity, and now um, just letting that fall away. And that is the key component here with when when god speaks to us in a dream usually what's happening is that he is trying to address a false belief there's a false belief going on that he is wanting to change Mm. and our tendency when we're looking at dreams is to rely upon our current paradigm you know our belief system is is formed from it's a result of our upbringing, our, our, you know, conditioning in our family, maybe our religion, our education, our experiences, we all come, we, we're all here with belief systems that are a result of all this. And when we, our tendency to interpret dreams on our own is, is us relying upon this false belief uh, on our belief system. And we're not going to get there. We're not, we can't, we almost can't comprehend what God is trying to speak to us. So I had a, in my belief system, it was my responsibility to apply my mind as best I could to my healing. And God used symbolic language to get my attention, to invite me into dialogue with him so that he could challenge and change this false belief. And so that's why it's so imperative that we not rely upon our own earthbound, you know, westernized uh, belief system when going back into a dream. We're going to miss it. I guarantee you, none of your listeners hearing that dream that I just described was <laughs> coming up with what God was trying to impress upon me. There's no way. And I would never have gotten in a thousand years if I hadn't been utterly dependent upon God to change my belief system about something. Yeah, that's so powerful, Ruby. Uh, it makes me think of this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, it says, We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, for it's written, No eye has seen, nor, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? 
So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And now we have not we have received not the Spirit of the world, which is what you're talking about, the, the culture and all the, the things that have shaped our thinking, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, which you said there, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Wow. That's, yeah. <laughs> that verse just has I'm getting, I'm getting a hit. I'm getting a hit. I am too. <laughs> wow. Well, that, that verse is so <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I am too. That verse just is so perfectly applies to what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, and it's so it's so funny though. Like we would we would say that uh, maybe okay, there's these uh, prophetic words that we get, or there's a, a, a prophetic teaching that comes from up front, or something we've read, or a conversation with somebody. But for some reason, and maybe it's because um, dream work has been sort of co-opted by new age thinkers or 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 even by the culture uh, in uh, weird ways the idea that god's going to communicate to us through dreams feels a little out of bounds or weird um, already when we're delving into the the work of the holy spirit we're, we're going to be going off the map from our our church culture from our our upbringing i, I love jordan singh talking about the supernatural work is weird, he says. You it know? is. But but when you consider what we already say we believe, right, that, <laughs> right, that, that we, we worship uh, an invisible being that has no beginning and no end and created all of thing, everything out of nothing and is surrounded by these uh, marvelous angelic beings uh, and and that this being, you know, sent his his God man son into the world where he was crucified until thoroughly dead and then raised him to life. And now now that spirit is within us. Like when we when we realize how much we already believe of the supernatural, he says the idea that God's going to communicate to us and there's going to be prophetic and and uh, deliverance and in this case communicating to us through dreams is just one drop in a whole bucket of weird the problem <laughs> the problem isn't that 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 we've made god too weird is that we've made him too normal oh that's so true it's so true we need to give him elbow room he, it's his prerogative to be weird thank god he's weird yeah you know he so defies our ability to just you know form him into what we're more more comfortable with and you know his 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 language his language has always been symbolic when we think about Jesus and how often he talked to his followers his disciples and the crowds it was always in some symbolic language and it was weird eat his flesh and drink his blood really that's just bad PR right like, <laughs> well you notice a bunch of people stopped following him at that point they were a little grossed right. out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the Holy Spirit is is going to guide us into all truth. He's not going to tell us all truth. He's going to guide us. Mm. God is inviting mm. us into um, greater intimacy in in this in this matter of of speaking to us in dreams, and it's it's so beautiful. It's so unpredictable. 
I've really learned to get over my fear of dreams that are disturbing. I just recently recently had a dream that um, had a really disturbing scene in it. And um, I've learned now that God's sim- symbolic language is is so unique. I can't predict it. I can't predict the direction that a dream's going to go. So don't be afraid of your dreams, even if they have sort of some disturbing imagery. Just in faith, knowing that God is not wanting to scare you he doesn't give us a spirit of fear he's wanting to have you walk in greater freedom and more healing and to rid yourself of of false beliefs Mm -hmm. and for those of us like myself i think one of the reasons that i dream so vividly so much and that god speaks to me so much is that i have a lot more false beliefs than the average person that need cleaning out right being raised in this fundamentalist church So just count on God's nature, continue to be gracious and loving and encouraging and um, that um, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful adventure and there's just a wealth of, of their actual treasure trove of wisdom to be gleaned from just getting comfortable with that symbolic language of God. Mm -hmm. A few, a few pointers on that so as you're building up uh, maybe a glossary of terms and there and there are some um we can take from the bible um some of the meaning of some symbols um like you know the dove of course is the holy spirit and um and the, the lion and the lamb is being jesus um but things like a dog if a dog is in your dreams you know that can Typically, a dog might mean companion or friend, but um, it, maybe you had a really bad uh, experience with a dog. So a dog in your dream might represent something else. And that's just something to um, walk out with Jesus and to kind of ask for clarification. And and uh, don't be afraid of being confused and just, yeah. you know, seeking God out in those things. Yeah, I had a, I mean, speaking of uh, developing a glossary, um, I I had a couple of dreams during my time at Tierra Nueva where the the bulk of the dream would happen and then I would find myself in a separate setting like the dream has moved on and I'm talking to someone about everything that happened in the first part of the dream. Oh wow. And and in both of those cases the the dream was talking about something that had happened or was happening at like I I like one of, I talk about it in, in my book. I had this this dream. I was in this warehouse. This was before Gilles and his group from France came for the first time back in 2008. Mm-hmm. And I had this dream that I'm in this giant warehouse and I see three people coming. I hear or have this really strong thought, uh, these people are bringing Egyptian gods with them. And and then they, they come and I can't see their faces. <laughs> and in the dream, I break dance in front of them, you know, which... Which uh, one of my friends said, maybe that's what you were supposed to do to, you know, <laughs> once you finally met these people. But then, but then the dream shifts to I'm in this big industrial kitchen, and I'm I'm cleaning, I'm washing dishes, I'm cleaning out these big pots, and my friend comes and I describe everything that happened earlier in the dream. So uh, I'm like, uh, and I remember all of this, so I've written it down and. And then I just share it with Bob. And then after Gilles and his team come from France uh, to lead this uh, conference on deliverance, Bob shares the dream with them. And Gilles like, can I can I hear it from Mike? And so I 
I sit down with it, which is, you know, was intimidating. Uh, but I, I just said, so here, here's the dream. And so it turned out they do a lot of deliverance ministry in Paris. And there's a lot of people coming from Africa and the continent of Africa. And they had done recently a big deliverance with somebody who was coming from Egypt, uh, who had like demonic principalities that were connected to them. And it had been a really messy deliverance session and it wasn't quite cleaned up yet. So the kitchen, mm. the kitchen cleaning out the pots and pans. And so it was, it was like, it was a confirmation dream for them about something that was not finished yet. Wow. But, but one of my friends who helped provide the interpretation was the one who said, well, maybe you're supposed to break dance in front of them. <laughs> and that would have cleaned it all up. <laughs> so maybe I missed that part. <laughs> so that, that, that happened another time. And I won't tell that dream, but just that you, you begin to learn vocabulary in ways that God is communicating and confirming things. And yeah, that's really helpful. So, so I wonder as, as we're maybe, uh, uh, landing the plane for now. I, I've heard you say a number of things that are helpful in terms of like having a, a, a pad of paper and a pen next to your bed um, and, and writing things down immediately and then spending time in worship before you enter into trying to interact with Jesus around what the stream might be and then, and then just this whole uh, vast array of, of questions about all the details that you can uh, spend time with Jesus on. I, I, I want to start to do that. Um, is, is there anything else that you would add to that list? Yeah. So to anybody who's listening, who feels like, oh, gee, I'm going to miss out because I just don't, I don't dream. I would encourage you. And yes, you do dream. We all dream. In fact, um, the average lifespan, three years of our lives will be spent dreaming. And there's scientific proof that we dream every night. It's really a matter of recall. So I would encourage you to, you know, show that intentionality, that value of dreams to God by having that pen and paper. And before you go to bed, asking God to bless you with uh, recall. Often those who fall right to sleep when they go to bed, they are the ones who tend not to recall as much. Those of us who are blessed with insomnia, <laughs> we, <laughs> we tend to recall a little better. But um, try to prolong that time between going to sleep. Just just try to kind of hover in that quasi state of, of drifting into sleep. Often people will hear God very clearly in that time as you're falling asleep and waking up. And that's really valuable. And we can kind of cultivate that. We can seek that out. But just uh, asking God to bless it and to give you a new perspective on it, to seek it out. Um, he can He can really bless that. God can really bless us with um, with practical things too, in regards to dreams. There's stories all throughout history. Like uh, there was a um, Canadian doctor who was given insight into uh, insulin to treat diabetes through a dream. In a dream, he was told to um, take the pancreas of a dog, tie it off, let it sit, and to use solution from that as a, as a means of gaining insulin to cure mm. diabetes. I think I shared earlier on in this series of, of a, a man I know who is an engineer 
who was doing some work for Boeing, and they were presented with a a very challenging problem and an impossible, impossibly short timeline. There was just no way they would possibly be able to do it. And and he prayed, and God gave him the solution in a dream, and and they were able to beat the timeline because God gave them the solution right up front. Wow. He's such he's such a friend. And I just feel like we don't give him like we were talking about earlier, elbow room, mm. elbow room to be that mm. friend. I think we just all need to give him more space to work with us and to just be open with it. And um, and yeah, he'll he'll teach us. Yeah. You know? yeah. Seek yeah. it out. The honor of kings to seek it out. So good, Ruby. So good. Well, would you would you pray for us or lead us through a activation, however you feel like the Lord's showing you? Absolutely. So, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being a weird God. I love that about you. Um, it's amazing. And um, Lord, to whatever extent that we are just sort of functioning like automatrons in this conventional world and and not acknowledging that and praising you and and enjoying that aspect of you, just have mercy on us, God, and open the eyes of our hearts, open our ears, open our minds, open our spirits, Lord, to receive more of your gifts, more of your beautiful symbolic language through dreams. In the name of Jesus, I just bless all the listeners, Lord, with um, just more recall of their dreams. Just, uh, yeah, just um, compel them, help us, Lord, to just value them more and to, and to value what it is that you want to heal in us, how you want to direct us and counsel us and, and bless us and to protect us. And um, And we need it now, Lord, when there's so few shepherds that are that are guiding these sheep Lord we just pray we need we need you this good shepherd to um, speak more into our hearts and, and minds and enable us to receive it and um, thank you for this podcast thank you for Mike and and others like him Lord that are just um, um, giving you that elbow room and that creative space to bless us and bless him in Jesus name amen amen Well, thanks, Ruby. It's been a real treasure to be with you here today. And with you. Thank you. The Church Without Walls podcast is brought to you by Emmaus Road Ministries Northwest. If you'd like to give to help support this work, you can go to EmmausRoadNW.org and click on Donate. All donations are tax deductible. This is Mike Neely. Thanks for listening.